the adult class. Um, since uh, since uh, Pastor Tedrick is away, I'm going to uh, be taking his place this morning as we continue through uh, the fascinating book of Revelation. It um, puzzling book, of course, very mysterious. The whole point is to is to conceal uh, the truth from those who would persecute the church and to reveal it to those who are insiders within the church to bring them comfort. And part of that has lent, um, the mysteriousness of the book has lent itself to all sorts of uh, misconstruals of its meaning, uh, of its intent. Um, that was coded for the early church, not for us. We have to decipher what the early church would have, would have understood by it. So we're going to take a look at the seven churches. And uh, I know Chuck has already introduced the scene of the Son of Man. I'll say a few things uh, about that here as introduction, but want to focus really on the seven churches. So let's open in a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for your compassion your mercy, uh, your faithfulness that never ends, even though we fade like a flower, uh, you preserve us and will never let us go from your sight because you have forgiven our sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west. We thank you for all that we have heard and been blessed with this morning. Um, thank you for your table having fellowship with us and letting us have fellowship with you. And we pray, Father, that uh, we will understand a little bit more about the trials of your church, that your church faces in every age and every place. Help us to be a faithful church, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this is... Uh, uh, the book of Revelation is uh, emphatic about... The word of Christ, testimony to Christ, uh, the prophecy sealed in the book and so forth, it's, it's focused on the word of God. And Jesus Christ himself is the word of God, already giving us, a, a, I think, a, a pretty good sense that this is written by John. This is written by the same author as the gospel of John, uh, talking about the light, Christ is the light of the world and uh, the church is a city upon a hill, uh, shedding its light for all uh, to see. And he brings his greetings to the seven churches. There are lots of sevens in the book of Revelation. And we might think, well, you know, seven is a, is a number of completion in the Bible. It is a number of completion in the Bible, but it was already a number of completion in the Greco-Roman world. For example, Apuleius, uh, who was really a, quite a crazy guy, um, magician, but also a philosopher in the second century. Many people uh, in the Greek, uh, Greco-Roman world wanted him to sort of take the place of Jesus for the pagans. And uh, uh, he said, I plunged my head seven times into the water of the sea 
which number seven is agreeably agreeable to holy and divine things as the worthy sage philosopher Pythagoras has declared. Pythagoras lived in the 6th century BC and uh, was really the founder, really, of Greek philosophy. And so the number seven had already been established. I make that point to say a lot of the numbers, a lot of the symbolism in the book of Revelation uh, is taken either from Daniel and Ezekiel or from Babylonian and, uh, and Greek uh, symbolism. And that's not unusual because Daniel and Ezekiel also borrow on Babylonian uh, uh, symbolism. Now, you might say, well, that sounds kind of like syncretism, sort of like paganism. No, it's not when you're using code. It's not when you're trying to uh, use symbols that people will actually connect with, people will actually understand. People who are coming out of paganism into Christianity, who are new to it all. Seven is a number of completeness. There are seven days in a week. Uh, Hadrian and Commodius, the emperors, had seven stars on their coins. So when you read about seven stars, you're, basically Jesus is riffing off of all the stuff, the coins and everything that is all around people say, I'm Caesar. I hold the stars in my hand. I am the true Lord and King of the earth. And that's why we read in, in uh, verses uh, 4 through 5, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, graced you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Now, Caesar, you know, there were lots of religions. Caesar had no problem if, you know, you, you the, prayed to the mother goddess, thanking her for cupcakes and everything, uh, or you, you, you hailed a, a god who was lord of this sphere of heaven and so forth. But Caesar owned earth. <laughs> He's the god of earth. And by this time, by the time this was written, there is an imperial cult. So the emperors are actually worshipped as gods themselves in the Roman Empire. And Jesus, it is emphasized throughout, is the great I am. He is the only true God. He is not only the true and faithful witness, but he is the son of God. Another title for the Caesars, son of Zeus. Jesus is the real son of Zeus. And uh, you have other uh, numbers. You have uh, a four is also a number of completeness. This is the thing. Don't be real strict about uh, the math, the, the, the Pythagorean numerology. It's not like the numbers uh, ha are to be strictly interpreted. The number four is also a number of completion, but typically geographical completion, the four uh, corners of the earth, for example. Jesus will bring the elect from the four corners of the earth. People talk like that. Uh, then, four corners of the earth was just a way of, metaphorical way of talking about the whole 
extent, the whole expanse, as we heard this morning, north, south, east, west. Um, Twelve was also a number of completeness, but stressing unity in diversity. Uh, It's made up of diverse things. So, uh, you know, you have uh, 12 tribes, one Israel. You have 12 apostles, one church. You have uh, 12 hours in a day that make up a day. So it's, it's, it, it emphasizes uh, many things, out of many things, one. E pluribus unum. Uh, so you have, and number 10 is also a number of completeness, which is why in chapter 20, uh, you have 10 to the third power as the millennium. Not a literal thousand years, but 10 to the 10th power means super duper complete. That's how we should translate it, I think. Super duper complete. Um, that is the whole period between Christ's two comings. It's a complete period. When that period is complete, then Jesus will return to judge the earth and make all things new. There are also, uh, 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 it, it, it was believed during this time that there were, uh, there were seven planets. There are seven planets that were visible to the naked eye. Earth, moon, uh, 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 moon sun, and then five planets, including Earth. So you had this seven stars, seven planets. Um, you also uh, get a lot of allusion to uh, Daniel 7, Daniel 10, uh, with the Son of Man uh, appearing. Uh, what's really striking in Daniel 7 is that everybody falls down and worships the Son of Man. We think the Son of Man is a, is a term uh, for uh, uh, stress, stressing the, de- the, the humanity of Christ, and then Son of God, stressing His deity, but that's not the case. Son of Man stresses His deity as much as uh, Son of God, at least in the first century. People who knew Jews, who knew the book of Daniel, knew that uh, in the book of Daniel, the one appearing as the Son of Man with fiery eyes and burn- feet like burnished bronze as we read here in Revelation 1, that same Son of Man was worshipped. And you read Jewish commentators, and they don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to do with Daniel 7. Say, that's kind of, that's the, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't worship angels. We think it's an angel, like a really super powerful high angel. But we would never bow down to an angel Uh, much less a human being. Who is this Son of Man? Uh, Son of Man is God. When the Son of Man comes on the clouds, we know that that God Himself is with us. And uh, then you you have the uh, benediction from Christ, the seven spirits before His throne. Again, seven spirits before His throne would be the seven pastors of these churches. Uh, you don't have to get elaborate and to think about you know, what, are, what are these different spirits, the spirit of this, the spirit of that. 
the spirits, the, the lampstands, the seven lampstands, are the seven churches. They're the light of the world. They're the candelabra. They're, the, they're, the, they're part of the new Israel. Uh, and then there's praise of Christ in the greeting to the seven churches. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Don't you love that? Made us a kingdom. Not gave us a blueprint for building one. As Jesus said to the disciples, recorded in the Gospel of John, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. He's giving us a kingdom. He's making us priests. Priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Very, very uh, dangerous, actually criminal act to use that kind of language for anyone but Caesar. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. See, there's the Son of Man reference in Daniel 7 again. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. Uh, Caesar is like way down there, and I'm the ruler of the kings on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Uh, then he... he uh, um, uh, 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 has the uh, vision um, on the Lord's day. This is not mystical. This is not like he, you know, had some shrooms or something and then had a mystical experience. It was his spa day. Uh, he, the, he, he went to church. I was in the Holy Spirit on the Lord's day. And he had this vision. He saw this vision. It's in the communion of saints. It's, it's, a, it's public. It's not a private thing. He goes to an ashram and he, he you know, gets himself into a meditative pose and he sort of comes to, you know, becomes enlightened. Uh, plus, he's not even looking for it. John isn't, isn't sitting on the Isle of Patmos, really bored. They won't give him any games. Uh, they, you know, he, he just, he's just sitting there. He's tired. And then he says, hey, eternal mind, sovereign mind. And then sovereign mind comes back and says, yes, my son, what is it that you would like to know? That is the Poimandris, the first book of the Corpus Hermeticum, which was around at this time. It's nothing like that. It, it, Jesus shows up. And John, John is stupefied, and Jesus shows him a vision, and the vision is not about just eternal light and, and beautiful colors and things that don't change. The vision is from somebody who recently died in Palestine and was raised three days later. He's in the news. This is about an event in history, not about a mystical Encounter a mystical experience. Let's get to the churches now. Okay. Um, these are really, they're not letters to the churches. The form, uh, the form of address is 
the form of an edict. The edict of a, of a king. So these are not Jesus' letters, sitting out writing letters to, to each of the churches. You know, you could, you could improve here in this area and so forth. This, this is an edict from the throne of the king himself to the seven spirits who are before the throne, the seven ministers of these churches in Asia Minor. Uh, and how do you interpret these? First of all, let's note, to the churches. He keeps saying to the churches, not just to the church. We can speak of the church as a whole of many parts, or churches like this particular local church and many other churches around us. Um, so the church is plural. May I just say, the Roman Catholic Church says, no, there's one church. There isn't a plurality of churches. There are other churches that say that. There is no plurality of churches. There's one church. Like, no, there, there's one church made up of many churches. He's writing to the churches. These, the, these are messages to the churches. Uh, how then do we interpret uh, these, these letters? I don't know about you, but I was raised in dispensationalism um, where we were taught that each of these churches represented a period, a chronological period in the church age. So, for example, I went back and looked it up. I couldn't remember. The church of Ephesus is 30 AD to 100, Smyrna 54 to 312, Pergamum 312 to 606, Thyatira 6. Uh, 607 to the tribulation, Sardis 1520, the Reformation to the tribulation, and Philadelphia 1750, beginning of the modern missionary movement to the rapture, and Laodicea 1900, uh, especially with the growth of Protestant liberalism to the, to the rapture, the uh, time of the rapture. So these are different ages. You read the book of Revelation chronologically in dispensationalism. You read it as if it's, it, it's talking about events, literally, that will happen chronologically rather than as snapshots of what is always happening from the time Jesus ascended to the time that he returns. All of these churches really are all of our churches. <laughs> There's something of all of these churches in this church. Some things that can be said to each of these churches that could be said to our church and to any church. You can't say, okay, well, we're the church of Ephesus or we're the church of Laodicea or we're the church of... We, this is talking about, as the whole book of Revelation is talking about, the whole geographical spread of Christ's body around the world and the whole temporal period between his two comings. They're snapshots of the way things are throughout this history. But you have to ask the question, first of all, what would comfort first century believers who are being persecuted? Uh, there, will be, there will be a church of Sardis in 1520 when Martin Luther comes along. Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! We All right, well, that'll be... Good for them, so very good for them. You have to first ask, 
Would people then and there be comforted by this interpretation? Because it's written, first of all, to them, and secondarily to us. There are seven mountains. Uh, it's, it, 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 he, he's, he speaks of the location of where all this takes place. The, the uh, 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 city of the seven hills is the place where the evil city is built. The city of seven hills is what Rome to this day is known as. Again, speaking in somewhat, somewhat um, uh, veiled code, but everyone would have known something like that, what you're referring to. It's on postcards, you know, in the first century. Um, so the first church is Ephesus, and this is the inward-looking church. This is the church that preaches the word of God faithfully, administers the sacraments according to Christ's ordinances, and exercises discipline. Here's what he says, to the angel of the church, see again, to the minister of the church in Ephesus, write, and by the way, these may not be pastors. Uh, Tychicus, remember, in, uh, everybody knows Tychicus. We name our children Tychicus. In Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians, Paul says, Tychicus will bring this to you and so forth. In the early church, before there were bishops, uh, there were presbyters who would be sent by the apostles back to their churches with, with letters, and those letters would be read. For example, in Colossians, Paul says, uh, he refers to a letter to the Laodiceans who were only like 11 miles away from the Colossians. And he says, exchange letters. You read the Laodicean letter in Colossae and have the Colossian letter read in Laodicea. The people who ran with these letters had a very important position and they eventually became moderators of presbytery. And then they eventually became bishops. Um, it, 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 it's a, 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 an interesting story, that I, not told by me, but, but uh, in particular uh, by uh, um, hmm. Rome, from Paul to Valentinus, Lamp, L-A-M-P, a, a, a German writer, a great book, Rome from, uh, from Paul to Valentinus, where he talks about all this, uh, this history of merging uh, the moderator of presbytery into a bishop, how that, came, how that came about. In any case, they're the point person. Now, this is, you know, uh, people at seminaries love to talk about chiasms. Um, I'm not going to go into any uh, uh, detail here, but you usually have the form of, you know, so you, 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 you move forward, then you reverse it. Just give a plain example. You don't need any of that. Um, a plain example, um, the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Okay, so going gets tough, tough get going. Or when Jesus says that the Sabbath was not made for man, but man, uh, or, sorry, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. 
That's Sakaya. And that's what you have here, basically, uh, uh, it's generally agreed that there is a chiastic structure to, uh, to all of these uh, letters. Um, which means that uh, they, the one and, that's not one and two, it's supposed to be one and seven. Anytime I have numbers. Um, no, seven. Why is that so hard? Um, and then um, six and two. There we go. Okay. It's, I was so close. Um, so danger, danger. Approval, approval. And then these churches are in the middle. Um, and I'll tell you why this is important uh, when I, when I uh, conclude. These two churches are very different, but they're both in danger of having their lampstand removed. So Ephesus uh, is an inward-looking church. They, uh, I know your good works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You persevere. You've endured. You haven't put up with heresy and false teaching and, and uh, idolatry. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet, this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Ephesus was a very important place. It was the center of Paul's ministry, um, and it, it was also the place where John the Apostle lived before he was carted off to the Isle of Patmos and received this revelation. He lived in Ephesus. That's where he took in the Virgin Mary, and she lived with him until she died. Remember, Jesus says, here is your mother. Uh, and so Ephesus was a very important place. Important things happened uh, in that city of Asia Minor, and yet it was also uh, a, a, a place where there was a gigantic uh, temple and trade related to Artemis. And so that's probably the, th the major threat that they had was the cult of, of Artemis, and uh, which we also see in the book of Acts as a, as a major threat. Um, and the, the cult of Artemis had infiltrated so many of the, of the uh, 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 lives of the believers, but not Ephesus. They were closed. They were closed to it. The problem is they weren't open to their neighbors. They weren't sharing the gospel. They weren't witnessing. I'm sometimes, uh, it, I hear it sometimes uh, said, 
We need a third mark of the church. Uh, I mean, a fourth mark of the church. Uh, sorry, a third uh, uh, note of the church. Not mark, but note. Holy, Catholic, and apostolic, but missional. A true church has to be missional. And my response is always, if they faithfully preach the word of God and administer the sacraments, they are being missional. That is the mission, right? But, but if we're just concerned about our group having our doctrine right, but we're not concerned about getting the gospel out, then what's the use of being a lampstand? And so Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to take away the, your salvation. Jesus is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, no church, no church has an unconditional deed from Jesus that it will exist forever. We have everlasting life in Jesus Christ, but any particular church that no longer preaches the word of God faithfully, administers the sacraments according to Christ's ordinances, and exercises church discipline, um, it, it's no longer a church. It's a, it's a, a, a hobby, or it's a, you know, like, like a chess club or something, but it's not a church. But it's not enough to say, well, we have the word of God, we have to preach the word of God, and not only in the walls of the church, but out. He's talking about being a light to the world. There's no reason for a church to exist if it's not holding up the light, if it's not, if it's not bearing the light. You've got to get the gospel right and get the gospel out. Second church, uh, Smyrna. This is Ismir, one of our graduates at Westminster, years ago. He graduated when... Um, about the time I graduated. Uh, he is pastor and church planter in Izmir, Smyrna, the church of Smyrna. And, uh, uh, you know, they've gone through all kinds of uh, difficulties, all kinds of problems, but uh, he is, has been such a faithful pastor in that part of the world. It's, it's, the, it's the home of Homer. Uh, also the temple of Athena. It was also the place where Polycarp, a disciple of John, was executed. Um, they piled the wood on, not to go into gory details, but they piled the wood on, it was green, uh, it wasn't quite burning, um, and so it, it was a very slow and painful and horrible, horrible death. They said, all you have to do is swear that uh, Jesus is not Lord. And he said, I've been serving him all these 70 years and he's never been anything but kind to me. Light the fire. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And he was, he was the teacher of Irenaeus, the great second century church father who, uh, who, who uh, opposed the, the early Gnostics. So uh, this was a very important church. Uh, you know, Ephesus had, had, had withstood the heretics. Paul said in Acts 20, to the elders, remember when he departed, heretic wolves will come in your midst, and he warned them, and they did. But, thank the Lord, the, the Ephesian church withstood them, but they didn't 
they didn't take it outside of the four walls of that church. But Smyrna, Smyrna has done both. Smyrna has held up very well. Uh, after Nero expelled the Christians uh, from Rome, the Jews expelled Christians from a synagogue, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy that they'll cast you out of the synagogues. That's what was happening. So here's the thing. In the Roman Empire, the Jews had a special uh, provision for not having to worship uh, the gods because that was woven into public civic life. But Jews could say, I can't do that because I have a very ancient law. Greeks and Romans really expected, uh, respected laws of a nation, especially one that was old. So because you're going to do that, uh, we'll you know, just stick to your laws. Uh, we will just enforce, for the Jews, they stick to their laws. Someone who doesn't stick to the Torah, we will execute. But they don't have to pinch incense to Caesar and everything. Quite for a while, Christians were under that umbrella, but now they're being kicked out of the synagogues and even their relatives are informing on them with the police. And so they're being dragged away. They're being dragged away to courts and, uh, and they have absolutely no protection now in the empire. And so uh, he contrasts true and false, the true and false synagogue and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Now he'll tell Laodicea, I know you think you're rich, but you're poor. He tells Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are really rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and they are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days, once it's complete, for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You might face the first death. You might suffer even to the point, of, but, but you are a conqueror, more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, and you'll receive the crown of life. A crown of life that was given in the Olympics, but not here because of comp competing with fellow Christians, but by enduring with fellow Christians. That's how you get the prize. Not by changing the world, but by enduring it. <laughs> by being a witness to the world around you. That's, that's the suffering church. The second is the suffering church, Smyrna. And then, um, oh, wow, we have to move quickly here. The compromised church. <coughs> the third church is the compromised church, and this is um, the church of Pergamum up here. It was the capital of that region of Asia Minor, which is today's Turkey. And it was the first city in Asia Minor to build a temple to a Roman emperor. 
Augustus. As I say, now the imperial cult is really growing. And this was the first city to actually have a, a temple built to Augustus Caesar, to a Roman emperor. It's also a place where Dionysius, uh, Dionysus uh, was very popular, god of wine and revelry. Um, spent a lot of time studying this guy. He's very interesting. Uh, they had a Serapium there, uh, Serapium after Serapis, Egypt. Once Greek, the Greeks took over Egypt, northern Egypt, uh, they, they turned it into a, a sort of uh, mixture of Greek and Egyptian religion and, and the religion of Serapis, the cult of Serapis, merging Greek and Egyptian cults. And the center of this was a Serapium, and it was in Alexandria. The mother Serapium was in Alexandria. That's where it, was, it first uh, began, the cult first began, under imperial uh, uh, oversight. I had the pleasure, I won't go into detail, but uh, three months ago to stand on that site and look at what used to be just like this, one of the wonders of the world in Alexandria the Serapium. Ephesus, or uh, um, um, Pergamum, had an exact copy of the Serapium uh, along with a library like Alexandria's famed library. So this was, this was a city that wanted very much to be like Alexandria, which, which was far and away greater than Athens by this time. And only the emperor had the right of the sword, uh, which means only the emperor could, uh, could uh, execute, could decide you know, capital punishment cases. And so this is what he says to uh, the, the church of Pergamum. And the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword... Okay, so here again, he has the sharp two-edged sword. The right of sword is exactly what they attributed to Caesar, what was attributed only to Caesar. Capital punishment. So once again, Jesus bests Caesar. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Wants to really emphasize, you, you live in Satan's part of the country. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so they might eat food sacrificed to idols, and practice sexual immoralities, referring back to the story in Numbers of Balak and Balaam, where uh, Balaam seduced Israelite men by giving them, bringing them to uh, foreign wives who introduced them to idolatry. And then he, then he mentions Jezebel because she did the same thing to Ahab. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. 
Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. There again, the sword. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, there again, he who can figure this out, this isn't too hard. This isn't rocket science, but, you know, just think about it. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, this could be an amulet. You know, they would have magic amulets and have write things on them, spells on them, names on them, and then they would have control over that person. It could refer to the priest's ephod. That could be the background, you know, the names of children of Israel, the tribes of Israel written on the ephod. But I actually think it refers to pillars because all over Pergamum, not just Pergamum, but certainly all over Pergamum, there are white pillars with names written on them. I think this is, you'll have pillars set up in heaven with your name on them. What a beautiful image. And this was kind of to say, if you, if you walk into some of the old churches uh, in, in, uh, in the old world, uh, they will have plaques on the wall of, of members long ago who may be a knight or whatever, and they, they donated a whole wing of the church, and they've got a plaque up there. Um, in any case, it will be remembered. We won't be remembered down here. We won't have a white plaque stone down here, but we will have one up there one day, a new name uh, that we have been given. And, and the name of Antipas reminds us that we're really dealing here with real people. I mean, real people who would be like, like Antipas. What happened in those days was great. What are you guys doing now? You guys are the compromised church. You guys so want to be successful and you so want to avoid persecution and suffering that you're willing to do almost anything. You'll be led astray by a prophetess. One prophetess in your church can lead the whole church astray. That doesn't make any sense. Repent now or your lampstand will be removed. Um, there are others. Uh, if I had five minutes, I would take it, but I'm not going to um, prevail upon you as you have children to, to uh, collect. Um, we have Thyatira, Philadelphia, and Laodicea left. left. I, I, I'll ask Chuck if I can uh, give him a break next, uh, next week and, and finish up. Those are really important. Uh, church. And then, then, it, then what do we learn from all this? What is this cumulative uh, description of the churches strung out all over the uh, uh, peninsula of Asia Minor have to do with us and our churches today? Okay, don't even have time for questions today, but next week, if, if uh, you know, Lord willing and Chuck willing, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, interrupt um, whatever with this announcement and we'll um, have the questions next week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we are um, always, all of these churches, always in need of your instruction, of your encouragement from your son, 
um, the true and faithful witness, but we also need to hear the hard truths, the hard facts, and wherever the Holy Spirit um, helps us to uh, be convicted of these uh, areas where we could improve, pray that you would, you would help us do that. Pray that we would be a people who faithfully preach your word, protect your word, guard the truth, and also proclaim it, give it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.